Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in every job and career, there are going to be uh, particular frustrations and stresses. I'm sure you face that uh, every day as you go about your daily task. Although everyone would love to have their dream job, even someone's dream job will have its particular difficulties. So everyone's calling in life, the day-to-day work we do will have challenges, sometimes major ones. And you know what? The same goes for uh, the work of building the church of Christ and preaching the gospel of Christ. Building the church is not easy. However, it's especially difficult when there's opposition to that work. And make no mistake, there will be opposition to the work of building the church of God. There will be struggles and trials. There will be attacks against the church. There will be persecution. There will be setbacks and suffering. And this is something the Apostle Paul knew all too well. When you study his life, what do you see? You can see lots of suffering. Many did not accept his message. Many opposed it with violence. And yet he says in our text, we do not lose heart. He continued to preach the gospel even in the face of great suffering. And why was he able to do that? Why was he able not to lose heart, but to continue to preach this good news? Well, our text shows us a number of reasons. It was, first of all, because of the riches of the gospel message itself. He had the greatest treasure and needed to proclaim it. And it was also because God's power and the power of the risen Christ were at work in him. Beloved, the same thing is still true today, also in us and among us. And that gives the church much reason for confidence. So that brings us to the sermon theme. The church proclaims the glorious gospel of Christ, no matter what the opposition. We're going to see that this gospel is proclaimed, first of all, without any trickery. Second of all, to shine the glory of God in Christ. And finally, this gospel is proclaimed through a weak people. So the Apostle Paul says he did not lose heart in his ministry to preach the gospel. He says in verse 1 of our text, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And this ministry, Paul refers to, is what he explained back in chapter 3. Paul and his fellow uh, preachers were ministers of a new covenant. It was a ministry of the Holy Spirit. It was a ministry that came full of life and glory. As we saw two weeks ago, the glory of the new covenant that Paul was a minister of, it surpassed the glory of the old covenant in three important ways surpasses it in its intensity. The glory of the new covenant is far more glorious. It surpasses it in its duration or time. The glory of the old covenant faded away, but the glory of the new covenant will go on forever. Finally, the glory of the new covenant also surpasses the old by virtue of its participants. 
In the old covenant, only Moses had access to, to the glory of the Lord. In the new covenant, all believers have access to this glory in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a ministry Paul had and that he had the privilege of administering. The same ministry that preachers of the gospel have today. And in verse 1, Paul says he received this ministry by the mercy of God. Or as we could translate it, having this ministry just as we have received mercy. That is to say, we have this ministry because God, by His choice, decided to give it to us. It was a gift from His hand. It wasn't because of anything we had done. This service depends on the Lord, and it comes from the Lord. And because of all these things, because of the ministry he had, because it came from the mercy of God, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Instead, he says, we preach this good news of Christ, and we preach it plainly and openly, no matter what. This is how he puts it in the next few verses. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, he says. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper or water down the Word of God. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. See, Paul knew that his ministry did not depend on finding the right technique he was not a trained speaker, and that did not matter either. What mattered in the end was the message he brought. He brought that message clearly, plainly, and without apology. And the church today needs to maintain that same perspective and attitude as the Apostle Paul. Yes, to be sure, Paul acted carefully towards all people in order to not hinder the gospel message. He even wrote to the Corinthians in his first letter in chapter 9, I made myself a servant to all people that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews, he says. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. And he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them and its blessings and win more people. And we to, to today, too, need to have that same care as Paul. Also how we treat uh, visitors who come into our services. We need to be welcome, welcoming and, and carefully speak the gospel to them. And we can give thanks that we do regularly have visitors coming into our service. We, we praise God for that. And so we seek to do what Paul says, to become all things to all people, that by all means we might save some. But that being said, this did not mean Paul changed the message of the gospel when he preached. Never. He still preached the full word of God openly and plainly. He said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He was not afraid to preach about things like sin and God's judgment. Instead, he knew he had to. It was the Word of God. Neither did he shrink back from proclaiming God's free grace 
in Jesus Christ. No, he did it all the time, as he says in Romans 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, what happens if a person is ashamed of the message uh, he or she is speaking? Well, probably try to hide some of it away. Or what happens if a salesman knows uh, his product is not very good? Well, you might try to practice some kind of trickery in order to gain more sales. Think of a used car salesman. The amount of income he gains depends on how many cars he sells. It might be very tempting to cheat customers or hide away defects in cars to, to gain more money. What Paul is saying, as a minister of the gospel, he has renounced those types of, of ways of acting, those kinds of methods. He was not working on commission, gaining income for every convert he gained or seat placed in the pew. Instead, he was working for his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he knew he had the right gospel message, and he just preached it. There was no way he was going to practice any kind of trickery or water down the Word of God. And again, we as a church today must hold on to that same attitude. We must preach God's Word faithfully and prayerfully and let God take care of the results. As Paul says, it is true. might not always bring the results that we want. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. That is to say, even if this message lands on hard hearts, even if no one accepts the message I'm bringing, it's not going to stop me from bringing this message. We're not going to change the word of God to suit the hearers. Besides, our confidence in this message does not depend on who or how many people accept it. Our confidence comes from God and that we bring the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must do the same today. That brings us to our second point. So not only does a church proclaim the gospel of Christ without any kind of trickery or shady methods, we also preach it for a specific purpose. To quote verse 3 of our text again, and also verse 4, Paul says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So by these words, Paul refers again to what he explained back in chapter 3. In the Old Covenant, Moses wore a veil after he spoke with the Lord. His face was shining with the glory of the Lord, but then he put a veil over his face. And the veil kept the Israelites from seeing that the glory of the Old Covenant was a fading glory. And then Paul uses that same imagery of the veil, also here, to describe any person who can't see the greater glory of the New Covenant in Christ, who has an unbelieving heart. A veil lies over their heart, says Paul. 
Their minds have been blinded by Satan. Now, these words show us what happens in the hearts of unbelievers. But these same words also show us the purpose of the church's preaching. To shine the light of the glory of God in Christ. As the Spirit says through Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, whenever a person turns to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, the veil is removed and they behold the glory of the Lord in Christ and His salvation. And this is why Paul preached this message and why we must continue to preach the gospel. Listen to verses 5 and 6. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And you know what? These really are amazing words when we understand what, he is, what he's saying here. These words show us, first of all, the power that God works through the gospel. Here, Paul references creation, the creation story. At the beginning of creation, God showed his power by, by creating all things out of nothing, just by speaking. First, there was darkness, and then there was light by the word of God. He says that same power is at work in us who believe in Christ. That same power is at work through the preaching of the gospel. Paul says, The God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that means as ministers of the new covenant preach the gospel, God uses that word for his recreating work in our hearts. The same power God used at creation to create light out of darkness is the same power at work even now, right now as I preach to you. And that is an amazing thing. And you know what? I counted the greatest privilege in all the world. You know, preachers of the gospel really do have the best job. You should be all jealous of, of me. Sure, it's by no means easy. Paul himself testified to that in the next section. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. At the same time, that truth certainly makes me tremble. Let me assure you that power... It's not from me at all. As Paul says, it comes from God's word. It's not from the preacher. That power comes from the Holy Spirit who empowers that word in our hearts. So that's the power of the message. But then there's also the content. Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God, he says. He's a perfect image of God in his human nature as humans were created to be. That is what our Lord Jesus Christ is. And he's also the perfect image of God the Father in his divine nature. Hebrews 1 calls the Son the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And the person of Jesus Christ and in his saving work, 
And as that's proclaimed to you, to all of us, we see the glory of our God on display. You know, so much so that Jesus told the disciples, whoever has seen me, that's the Lord Jesus, has seen the Father. This is one of the main points uh, from our reading from Philippians 2. There we read those famous words. Christ Jesus was in the very form of God, or you can translate it, in the very nature of God. Yet he did not count equality with God, something to be held on to for his own advantage. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What is Philippians 2 teaching us by those words? It's saying that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shows us what God is like in his saving work. He shows what God is like supremely in giving the ultimate sacrifice of going to the cross on our behalf. You know, a death on a cross, a crucifixion, in itself is perhaps the most inglorious thing imaginable, the most shameful thing imaginable. But what did God do in Christ? He used it to show his glory by showing what he is like in the person of Jesus. He is full of love, full of humble service for others. And he is a God who gives himself even for people who have rebelled against him and are his enemies. That is the glory of God in the cross, working for our salvation. And so God has shown the light of this gospel into our hearts, shines forth the glory of God. And God does indeed gain glory by it. We read in Philippians 2 as well, because of his humble obedience and service all the way to the cross, God the Father exalted his Son, gave him the name that is above every name, that every knee shall bow before him. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what Paul says he proclaims in our text. Not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So that everyone, including you, might make that same confession that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord, the resurrected and exalted one. And as we behold this glory of God in Christ, we learned last week, we become like Him. As Paul says in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That brings us to our last point. So these things are why Paul preached the gospel no matter what didn't matter what opposition he faced, he needed to bring this message. But even though this gospel is glorious, it doesn't mean the preacher himself is glorious. In fact, it's actually quite the opposite. God uses weak people to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And Paul puts it like this in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. 
Now, a jar of clay in the ancient world, and still today, was a cheap, everyday object. They were everywhere. They were a dime a dozen, we could say. If you broke one, you could easily replace it with another. If we were to use a similar example today, you could say, we have this treasure in cardboard boxes. Nothing spectacular. Paul says, I am like that. And all the preachers of the gospel are like that. The gospel is amazing. We are not much in ourselves. We have weaknesses. We have shortcomings. That's how it is with preachers. We are all nothing in ourselves. I have weaknesses too. I know that too uh, far uh, too well. That's how it is with all of us sitting here today. We are weak people in ourselves. But God has placed within us this glorious treasure of the gospel of Christ. And He has actually placed His Son in our hearts by faith. And He has given the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts, an infinite treasure. We are still jars of clay. But this also serves an important purpose. Paul says, this shows that the surpassing power of this ministry comes from God and not ourselves. And that same truth was also confirmed by the sufferings that Paul went through. And again, as you read through the New Testament, you can see Paul went through extreme suffering for the sake of the gospel. When he wrote the letter to the Philippians, he was suffering in prison. He was in chains for the sake of Christ. His life followed the same path as Jesus Christ and his sufferings. And so he said, uh, for, for me to live as Christ, right? to suffer as Christ did. You see some of that in this text also. He says he was afflicted in every way. At times he was persecuted. At times he was perplexed and struck down. And you know what? A clay jar should have been crushed by these sufferings. It should have broken into a million pieces. And Paul would have been crushed if he were all on his own. But why is it that he could keep going in the Christian faith and preaching this message? Why did he not throw in the towel and just give up, saying, forget it, I'm not going to do it anymore? It was the power of God that sustained him in and through his sufferings. Showed the power of God at work in Paul and in his ministry. One great example of this sort of thing is found in Acts 14. Paul was in the city of Lystra preaching, but unbelievers opposed him strongly. And they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city again. Soon he was preaching the gospel of Christ again. After nearly dying in a brutal way for that very work. You look at that, you wonder, how can that be? What drove this man to do this? It's because he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because the power of God was at work in him. Yes, he was afflicted, but he was not crushed. Yes, he was perplexed, but not driven to despair. Yes, he faced persecution, but God had not abandoned him. Sure, he was struck down, but he was not destroyed. And in a similar way, God sustains us too in our sufferings. 
God has shone in our hearts the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You have an eternal Savior, an almighty God who lives in your hearts by faith. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the eternal life to come. And because we have those things, we can persevere in the Christian faith no matter what the opposition, no matter what the suffering. I know as I've gotten to know you during my time here, I know that some of you have suffered very much in your life. I know that some of you are suffering a lot right now. And yet here you are in worship, persevering in the faith. Why are we not crushed by the afflictions we go through? Why do we not throw in the towel in the Christian faith and turn our backs on God? It's because we have the Lord Jesus Christ and He has us. It's because God is at work in us. And as you persevere in suffering, you experience the, the suffering you experience. It's a testimony that, that God is sustaining you. And if you are really struggling right now, wondering if you will be able to persevere, do not lose heart. Look to your God. Look to your mediator, Jesus Christ. He looks on us in compassion even as we suffer. He knows what it means to suffer. And he will sustain us by giving us life by God's promises, by the Spirit. Listen to what Paul says next in our text. We are, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Literally, Paul says we carry around in our bodies the dying of Jesus, that, that process of dying that, that Jesus went through. All right? Again, for Christians, to live is Christ. Our path follows his path of suffering through this life. But at the same time, As we experience the dying of Jesus in our bodies, we also experience his life. His resurrected life is at work in you who believe. And the living Christ will strengthen us so that we can keep going in the faith. And so verse 11 says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then he adds, So death is is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What does he mean by those last words of our text? It could mean probably two different things. It could mean that Paul's ministry is bringing life to the Corinthians, even though the ministry itself was causing Paul to be delivered over to physical death through all those sufferings he faced. Death was at work in Paul as he suffered for the gospel. But as he brought that gospel, life was at work in the Corinthians and in us. Another possible meaning is this. In his sufferings, Paul was sharing in the suffering of Christ, as we do too. However, at the same time, he also receives the comfort of Christ. That's what he explained back in chapter 1. And Paul can then pass on that comfort that he received in his sufferings to the Corinthians. The suffering he endured prepared him also to receive the comfort of Christ, and by that he could then in turn comfort the Corinthians with the comfort he received in his own sufferings. 
And that is something we experience as well. In our sufferings, we experience the sufferings of Christ. As we suffer, we are also comforted by Christ or the gospel that God is working all things together for our good. And having been comforted, we are able to comfort others who are likewise going through the same suffering. And in this way, God uses suffering in our life so that we can minister to each other. Death is at work in us by our sufferings, but life is at work in others by the comfort we extend to them. And in this way, the life of Jesus will be revealed in our lives as we persevere in the faith together. Amen.